0: It's the Opperman Report. Join digital forensic investigator and PI Ed Opperman for an in depth discussion of conspiracy theories, strategy of New World Order resistance, high profile court cases in the news, and interviews with expert guests and authors on these topics and more. It's the Opperman Report. And now, here is investigator Ed Opperman.
1: Okay, welcome to the Opperman Report. I'm your host, private investigator, Ed Opperman, and this show is brought to you by emailrevealer.com. You can go to emailrevealer.com, get an autographed copy of my book, How to Become a Successful Private Investigator. Also, too, if you think your spouse is cheating on you, well, you know what? The topic of the show today is going to be about child abuse and uh, court and, uh, custody battles and stuff like that. Uh, we have this online infidelity investigation, but we can expand that investigation. Uh, into uh, tracking down porn sites and escort service sites and swinger sites. And, and that's the kind of thing. If you give us a, you know, Let's say you're, you're in litigation, right? You're going to have a custody evaluation going on. Uh, you give us your husband or your wife's email address. We trace it back to online dating websites, but also porn sites and swinger sites. And then what I can do for you is I can create a, a, a report that you can use it as an exhibit. And I can even speak to your custody evaluator if, if it comes to that. So emailrevealer.com where you can get all that kind of stuff and get a copy of my book. If you enjoy this show, check out our member section at oppermanreport.com. And uh, we have all kinds of extra content in there. I have going up in there a a show I just did with Mara Moon. It's not up there yet. We just added like 12 hours of new content in the past month, but I'm trying to raise money to get a car. Uh, but uh, just did an interview, uh, about 58 minutes with uh, Mara Moon, uh, who is one of, Corey Feldman's Corey's Angels, okay, and she's the one who left the tour and the whole tour fell apart because Corey got arrested for drugs and then she left to quit the band and she quit the tour, fascinating story, and so she is uh, um, actually uh, coming out exclusively to the Opera Report, she released a statement, a written statement, but this is the only uh, audio interview she's done. And we have her coming on. It's, it's going to go in the member section first because uh, tomorrow night I'm airing Scotty uh, Schwartz, uh, who is also involved with this Corey Feldman story. And his, uh, he was the little boy in A Christmas Story who got his tongue stuck to the pole in that movie, that Christmas movie. The little boy got his child actor, right? Uh, so growing up as a child actor in Hollywood, he knew Corey Feldman. He knew Corey Haim. He knows Corey Haim's mother. He's involved in all this controversy and stuff like that. He's, written a, he's, he's released a written statement. Uh, But again, this is the only audio interview with uh, Scotty Schwartz, and that'll be airing on Friday night. Our guest today, hopefully, (laughs) if we can get her, okay, we can get her on a line here because she might be a little bit missing in action, uh, is the author of the book Epidemic, America's Trade in Child Rape. And her name is Lori Handrahan, a PhD. Uh, So Danny, how are we doing? Are we able to find Lori? Uh, she didn't answer her phone yet. I'm still trying. Okay, keep trying. All right, well, hopefully, we'll get a hold of Lori Handrahan. And I've been going through her book here. She has a very interesting story of her own. And then she's done all this uh, books put out by Trying Day Press. Our good friend
2: over there, Chris Milligan. So, let's see. Like I said, we have coming up. Uh, this show with uh,
1: Scotty Schwartz and he goes into great detail about his, uh, his relationship with Corey Feldman, his relationship with Corey Haynes, an exclusive interview. And uh, we're trying to get a hold of Corey Feldman to give his side of all this. And I'm going to be doing a whole hour tomorrow night on Friday evening, uh, 7 p.m., uh, a little behind-the-scenes uh, activity that I've been dealing with uh, all these folks here. Uh, and this controversy is, you know, Corey Feldman just came out with this GoFundMe and his IndieGoGo uh, fundraising plan, where he's trying to raise uh, ten million dollars uh, in order to fund a movie, where he's gonna the story of his life, where he's gonna out all these Hollywood pedophiles and stuff like that. And then he comes out with further, he was almost run over by these trucks. They were crossing the road, and these trucks came throwing him over. He needs twenty-four hour security. Now, the people on the other side of this, including Corey Haim's mother and uh, some of Corey Haim's friends and a lot of these Corey's angels, former, I guess you could call them fallen angels. (laughs) okay These people who have left the uh, the Corey uh, Corey Feldman household, these women, these Corey's angels, uh, all have a bunch of allegations and accusations against Mr. Feldman here and and kind of uh, question his motives uh, for trying to raise all this money. So let's see what happens with that. We have, like I said, Scotty Schwartz coming up, and then I got Mara Moon. I have one hour with her, so we're going to put that in the member section first, and then it'll probably air sometime next week as things uh, bubble up here and, and uh, per- uh, percolate behind the scenes. So we don't know what's going to happen though with uh, Corey. If Corey Feldman himself will come on the show, I haven't actually contacted him yet. I'm going to do. I was planning to do that today uh, after this interview here today with. The late, great (laughs) Lori Handrahan, PhD.
2: So hopefully we'll get this uh, going here. Um, Checking out her book here. Read the whole book uh, over the weekend, preparing for this interview. And she's got some commentary back here. Uh, One is by Conchita Sardoff. Okay,
1: She's described as an investigative journalist and author of Traffic King. You might recall that I had Conchita Sarnoff on my show talking about the Jeffrey Epstein. uh, Her book is about Jeffrey Epstein. And she has a glowing review here of uh, Lori
2: Hendrion's book. When I spoke to uh, Conchita Sarnoff, she was actually friends uh, before Epstein got busted. She was a a socialite and, and friends with Ghislaine Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein. She socialized with them and also Donald Trump. So,
1: But she also runs a nonprofit organization that's based out of, I believe, Washington, D.C., but it also has a, a phone number out there in Beverly Hills, California, where she advocates for uh, for children of human trafficking. And issues like that. We have no answer from good old Lori Handrahan. I wonder what's going on. Let's see, maybe I can send her an email. <laughs> She'll get that. Let's see. Let's see. It says here we said ten AM. I was talking to her earlier this morning.
2: Maybe she got uh, ill or something. Okay. I'm gonna send her a message here. Okay, send her this message here. I said, We're on the air, can you make it? I uh she also has a a little
1: blurb written here in the back of her book. Well, one thing I'd like to finish up with Conchita Sarno is that when I had her on the phone, uh, on the interview here, we played it live. Uh, it, it was interesting that, um, she kind of gives Donald Trump a pass on all this. You know, I asked her, you know, well, what about Donald Trump and his friendship with Epstein? And, uh, we had a little disagreement about, a a quote from, uh, the Vicky Ward article, where Donald Trump says, "Yes, I knew Jeffrey Epstein for 15 years. A wonderful guy. Uh, sure likes to have his fun." <laughs> and some people say he likes beautiful women, just like I do. Many of them on the younger side. So uh, you know, sure that Jesse sure loves his uh, that uh, Jeffrey Epstein. Sure loves his social life. Had a little disagreement about the uh, the wording of that. Um, and she seemed to feel that uh, Trump had no involvement with the Epstein activities. But if you look at it objectively and soberly,
2: uh, here you have uh, one of the main litigants, one of the main victims and litigants against
1: Jeffrey Epstein was uh, Virginia Roberts. And Virginia Roberts, now she goes by the name uh, Virginia Goofy and she's the one who's suing Ghislaine. Well, she just settled her suit, but she was suing Gishlain Maxwell for a, a defamation. And she settled many cases with the, the Epstein crowd. She's the one suing the, uh,
2: oh boy, suing the uh, victim's advocate group there who never contacted her about the settlement with Epstein down in Palm Beach, Florida. But uh, the way that Epstein got a hold of this
1: little girl was well, that she was working at Mar-a-Lago. She was working at Mar-a-Lago in the women's locker room, folding towels. And she was spotted in there by Ghislaine Maxwell, who is often described as Epstein's girlfriend or companion, pal. By the way, she's the daughter of Robert Maxwell. Okay, that guy from the UK that was uh, involved in all that kind of uh, tabloid stuff. And uh, according to our guest, gift, uh, I gift, uh, Jeffrey Gilson says it's a... Uh, Involved in Iran control kind of stuff.
2: But the way that Jeffrey Epstein was able to get his
1: hands on this little girl was that his partner and friend, some say pimp, Yishlayne Maxwell, met her at Mar-a-Lago while she was working there in the ladies' locker room, and she delivered this little child over to Jeffrey Epstein. So this was a Trump
2: employee that was plucked from a Trump property by a Trump friend
1: to another Trump friend, okay? So how you could say that uh, there's no connection to Trump in all this is beyond belief, uh, in, in my mind at least. Okay, and then you have uh, Nick Bryant, another one here who's uh, mentioned in
2: the back of his book. We had Nick Bryant on the show too, and uh, he did a book about the Franklin cover-up. And uh, let's see, what does Nick Bryan have to say about this? Epidemic has courageously illuminated a parallel universe
1: that coexists with the universe of Little League, Boy Scouts, Disneyland, and other hallmarks of wholesome, youthful Americana, a universe where lies masquerade as truth, where shadows
2: reflect light, where innocence is condemned, until our
1: society as a whole makes a brave, concerted effort to confront this universe, countless children will be condemned to destruction. And he's the author
2: of The Franklin Scandal, uh, the story a story of power broker child abuse and betrayal. We've done a couple of shows. Oh, you think
1: Lori's here? I'd love to talk to Lori. I'm <laughs> we'll getting a message from Danny here. How off the presses. Lori may be available. Uh, as soon as she has Danny, just
2: put it right on. Uh, did a couple of shows about the Franklin cover up. I've done some
1: with uh, David Scherter, who's written that book Rabbit Hole, and he he was molested up there in the, in that area by those people. He knew all the people involved and stuff like that as a child. He recovered from that. Did a show with Nick Bryant. Also did a show with Tim Tate. A lot of people they know about the Franklin cover up because of the uh, the documentary called Conspiracy of Silence. Uh, so I was able to track down Tim Tate in the UK and
2: uh, arrange an interview with him. That's still in my
1: member section. You can check it out over there. And anytime Lori's ready, I'll be ready for Ah, <laughs> oh, She's still yellow over there. Maybe we can get her on the phone. Hopefully. Let's see.
2: Still no message here from Lori. Maybe over here? No. Yeah, so.
1: And as you know, too. Uh, I, I was old friends with Ted Gunderson too, who had some involvement with in Franklin Coverup and his connection with John DeCamp. Uh, that's another question
2: I was going to ask Laurie. Because, you know, one of the things I found, oh, boy, in, in, in working on these cases behind the scenes and dealing with these people,
1: there's so many levels of deception and intrigue. And, and who do you trust? And who's, who's a gatekeeper and who's not? Uh, it's a a minefield to to walk through, and, and it seems like the the more you peel away at the onion, and you get closer to the center, uh, the more that you find people that are, are deceptive and and uh, running interference for these characters
2: at the highest levels. You know, I, I did a show about Jared Fogle, the subway spokesman, and then and then we start to find out that.
1: Uh, because there's litigation, his ex-wife is suing Subway. And in her motions, she talks about how Subway had to be aware of this. And, and, and there's, there's other witnesses who talked to Subway and reported Jared to Subway. And there's even a, some uh, correspondence back and forth where Subway came back and says, well, no, 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 he's married now. He married a schoolteacher. I think he's, uh, he's getting better. You know, he's, he's no longer uh, involved in that activity. But if you look at the whole, in the case of Jared Vogel and Subway, it, it seems like this guy was talking to anybody who would listen and trying to get them to hook him up with with little kids, you know, you know right on the open, saying that he wanted to have sex with with their little children and, and their little kids' friends. And, and could he could they put cameras in their house and take videos of
2: their kids? Uh, People who were relative strangers to him.
1: Like, people who were Subway franchise owners. And he would meet them at a franchise meeting, you know. And in the middle of the conversation, hey, you know, boy, I'd really like to rape your
2: kids. You know?
1: (sighs) Yeah, Lori's still not online. Maybe she's an internet problem and a phone problem, both. (laughs) You never know, right? Okay. Anyway, you can find uh, Lori's book. I got a link
2: up to the book epidemic america's ch- trade and child rape um uh, on my facebook page you can check that out uh, let's see well i was gonna ask her too because she has some stuff in here about a uh, international child trafficking
1: and i did a, a show too about um Hey, the Russian adopt—it started. I started looking into adoptions. I noticed the name of this adoption agency
2: um, during Pizzagate when when Pizzagate was first bubbling to the surface. And this is way back when it was still on Reddit before it hit 4chan and all that kind of stuff. And one of the people who was uh, liking
1: comments and pictures on Aliphantus' Instagram was a an adoption agency. Uh, something like the name Angel Adoption Agency, something like that,
2: along those lines. So I started looking into this adoption
1: agency. And I found out that uh, there was an incident with this adoption agency. There's this group called Save Our Sisters, who are advocates for biological parents and encourages them to, to raise their own kids and not put their kids up for adoption because um, their experience is that it's a it's not a the best way to go so i I found that this group, Save Our Sisters,
2: had done a whole report on their experience with this
1: adoption agency that you found there liking these bizarre uh posts on james Alephantis' Instagram. And what happened was, is this group they had paid for. And what happens with a lot of these young girls and these young women is they're pregnant. You know they don't want to have an abortion, but they can't afford, you know, to pay for go to the doctor and medical treatments. And you know, having a baby's expensive. You don't have medical insurance. Like forty thousand dollars It's insane.
2: You know, both my brothers were born in Cuba. I think they were born
1: in the bathroom. <laughs> you know, it makes you wonder. You know, uh, you know what's going on with this this medical. Uh, coverage situation is kind of insane but anyway so these women can't afford to to pay for adoption so like that's what they do is they go to these adoption agencies they work out a deal with them, where uh, the adoption agencies will pay for their their hospitals but then they, they want that baby because they're going to make money when they put that baby up for, for adoption it's like private adoptions and in this one instance with this group that's connected to Aliphantus this adoption agency When the woman changed her mind, which is you can legally do this, by the way. If you're involved in this whole adoption thing, get a hold of a group like Save Our Sisters uh, and uh, get some advice from them before you you get too far into this. Start signing contracts and stuff like that. Do your research. Don't go just running into this. So what happened was (sighs) this woman gave birth, young girl, and she changed her mind. She didn't want to give up the baby. She changed her mind, which is her right to do. But the adoption agency freaked out and they started telling her, uh, oh, no, 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 no. If you don't give us that baby, we're going to call the cops. We're going to have you arrested for fraud for having us pay for your hospital bills. So they met her down in the parking lot of the hospital when she's leaving with her brand new infant and they took the infant away from her in the parking lot and this woman has no idea where this baby went. Now, after that incident started hitting the news and stuff like that, the adoption agency went out of business. They formed another one. A lot of the officers from the adoption agency went with the, the new one under a similar name, but a uh, very uh, bizarre story. So I wanted to interview somebody about this adoption agent connected to Aleph Contacted these women over at Save Our Sisters. And we discussed this. And then I started becoming familiar with the adoption process here in the United States, which is a horrific system. And, uh, you know, you, you think you're doing the best for your child by giving them up to an adoption agency. But really, once you give up that baby, you don't know where they're going or who they're going with. Uh, and, and there's a lot of money changing hands. And, and there's more uh, paperwork. I mean, in fact, I'm going to buy a car today. There's more paperwork and registration and documentation, car facts, all this kind of stuff. There's more when, when you're purchasing a used car than there is when you're giving up your baby for adoption. So I became familiar with this adoption process. I started keeping my eyes open on it, you know,
2: keeping my eye on what's going on here with adoptions, you know. And then I see this, you know, everybody's, uh, it's on the news 24-7 about the the Russians hacking our election.
1: And you see this whole story about how Donald Trump Jr. meets with this Russian, a bunch of Russians, actually. It seems to be a whole, Whole gaggle of Russians. I don't know what the but the expression is for multiple Russians. But there's a whole gaggle of Russians he meets up with over there, Trump Towers. And it's, and they, 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 uh, by the way, so I, I have a friend of mine too who knows that the, that the promoter over there who, who arranged this whole deal. Um, and then she has an interesting background herself. <laughs> anyway, she's supposed to be a guest on the show. She kind of backed out at the last minute, but maybe we can get her back.
2: So. I
1: I see, you know, and there's an email goes back and forth. Hey, we got dirt on the Clintons, you know. Oh, great. I want to hear this. But the official story is, oh, no, 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 no. We went there to meet with them and they started talking about Russian adoptions. Right. And I said, adoptions. Hmm. Let me take a look into Russian adoptions. Because they call me. Maybe they did meet about adoptions. I have my suspicions about this Trump. Okay. we know the Clintons were doing all kinds of funny business with the adopted kids in Haiti. We know that for a
2: fact. So let me take a look. What's going on here with these Russian adoptions? I started looking into this. And I found a, a horrific situation. Where. With these overseas
1: adoptions. First of all, with many, many countries. You can just go there. And. And pluck a kid, really. You could even kidnap a kid and take it back. But they have adoption agencies in these other countries, some of them where they are kidnapping these kids and and selling them mostly to Americans who want to adopt these kids. And there's no vetting, there's no checking, there's really nothing. They just, here's the kid, get on the plane, go home. You know? And there's quite a bit of countries that do that. Now, there's a few countries that vet you out and Russia
2: is one of the countries that vet you out the most. But another
1: thing I found out was, is that uh, these children who come from these overseas orphanages have problems. You know, they have, they have attachment problems. They have emotional problems. They have all kinds of problems. And when they come here, the parents can't deal with these problems. And they decide, I got to get rid of this kid. And they become desperate. Well, how do Because, you know, what do you do? You, know, you want to send it back to Russia? You want to send it back to, uh, uh, you know, uh Asia or Africa, you know?
2: So there was even one case, too, where the parents sent a
1: little Russian boy back to Russia with a letter in his hand. Just put him on a plane, send him back with a letter. And here, yeah, we don't want him. Take him back. And that was one of the reasons why there were so many
2: scandals that the Russians stopped uh, allowing adoptions in the United States. But one of the things I found out was there's a whole
1: underground. I guess industry you might want to call it of parents who have adopted overseas orphans and then they decide that they can't handle these kids and there's a word for it I don't want to give you the word because it's too easy to find
2: these websites I'm about to tell you about (sighs) They want to rehome the
1: kids, basically. Like, you know, when you have a, you're putting up a dog for adoption on Craigslist, they rehoming a fee, $10. Right? They got these adopted kids. They want to rehome them. They want to get rid of them. And they're desperate to get rid of them. So, and there's some people that are well meaning that try to help facilitate these kinds of things. And because there's people out there dying to get kids, and there's people out there dying to get rid of kids. But I, I found some websites where it seems less than ethical in their approach to rehoming these poor orphans. And I can give you a couple of examples. One was a picture of a little Indian boy. And he says uh, he's very obedient. He's very willing to please. And a little picture of the boy. And there was another one, a little picture of a, a little blonde girl. I think she was 9 or 10 years old. And so she's very sexually aggressive. And uh, she's using
2: pot and alcohol. You know, come and get her. <laughs> right now, take
1: her away. You know, so you can just imagine the kind of people who are in the, in the tuned in to this kind of underground and what's going on. And see, uh, and and will take advantage of this situation. And there's documented cases where this has happened. One group they had about ten of these kids. And by the way, too, the paperwork work with this is non-existent. It's a it's a, a guardianship, uh power of attorney. You go to a, you go to the Kinko's, or you go to the UPS store, you go to your bank, and you got a little form a power of attorney. I give this other parent power of attorney over this child uh, to enroll him in school and to take him to the doctor. Boom, that's it. And that's the whole, all the paperwork involved. There's no vetting, no background checks, no nothing. That's it, power of attorney, take the kid. Now, they can take that to the school, they can take it to the doctor, whatever, and they can use that power of attorney because they
2: have guardianship over this child so you can imagine the uh, this is rife for abuse by people with uh, ill intent people with bad motives there was this one case
1: where these uh, this couple lived on a farm they had a whole bunch of uh, child abuse allegations against and child neglect and, but they had like 10 of these kids that no one else wanted you know, and they put the kids to work on a farm on this ranch, whatever it was, and uh, they would tell the kids, said, "You, we could kill you tomorrow and no one's going to come looking for you. Nobody cares about you. And one of the things they would make the kids do is dig their own graves. You know, they would have, have them working. If the kids were disobedient, they would have them start digging their own grave. And they, when the parents were confronted by police, they admitted that they were doing this. They says, oh, yeah, we had them dig holes. You know, and we would tell them, you're only digging your grave, you're only digging yourself in deeper. But it was a form of punishment. But the kid says, you know, we were told we we're digging our own graves. And then they're also being told, that uh, you know, if we got rid of you, no one would notice. And then there were some other cases where uh, one case where the parents who, who took uh, the power of attorney over one of these Russian uh, kids, actually uh, their, their other child had died in their custody. They, they had a child that died in their custody and they were able to go and and rehome one of these kids so
2: it, it's just another example
1: of a totally failed system that we live in here uh, when in regards to our most precious commodity that we could have okay let's play a little commercial here and we'll be back don't forget the show is brought to you by pscoco.com Phoebe Saad is an independent curator with the Cocoa Exchange. The Cocoa Exchange is formerly known as Dove Chocolate Discoveries, and they make the finest silky smooth chocolate because the products start with the best cocoa beans, which are tested for quality and flavor by expert technicians. The Cocoa Exchange offers not just premium chocolates, but anything from sauces and spices to brownie and cake mixes and even coffee and martini mixes. If you wish to treat yourself or someone you love to a sweet and tasty gift, then the Cocoa Exchange is the brand for you. So you go to PSCocoa.com, you click on the Shop Now button. You can see all their beautiful chocolates. You can order it right now, tonight. It could be in your mailbox in a couple of days. Or if you want to get into the chocolate business, you want to be a chocolatier just like Phoebe Saad, click the Contact Us button, and you can learn how to get your own website. Go into the Cocoa chocolate business and sell chocolate and make a little bit of money there. You can have your ad played here at OppermanReport.com. Every Friday night, 5 p.m. and Saturday night, 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. The ads are very, very inexpensive, and they're also played in the Opperman Report member section. In the member section, you can find all kinds of exclusive content that you won't find anywhere else. Okay, welcome back to the Opperman Report. I'm your host, private investigator at Opperman. You know, our guest here today... Well, I guess we'll have to reschedule with her. Lori Andrahan, PhD. And doing research for this show, she tells these stories about how uh, her own uh, custody situation with her daughter, where she alleges that her daughter was being molested by her father.
2: You know? And uh, you really don't
1: appreciate, you know, what a precious gift you have in your child until the court's, uh intrude into your life and try and take your kid away from you. You know, or do take your kid away from you. And and then you see that all the people in these family court systems who are making a living and profiting off of this whole this, of this industry of ripping children away from the parents that raised them.
2: And it's a whole business with these custody evaluators
1: and these therapists and uh these classes you gotta take where they're all friends with the judge, they're all friends with each other, they all back each other's reports up, and it's all for motivation of money, you know? And uh, even, I was talking to one of these uh, Corey Feldman girls, uh, Corey's Angels, and she had the same situation with her custody thing, with her kid. So, now, you know,
2: it's just tragic, but but as long as you have people,
1: uh, there's a whole system where the family court system, the judges, the therapists, and the lawyers have no problem in their living off the pain and suffering of little children. They don't They don't even blink an eye over it. This is what they do for a living. And that kid goes to the highest bidder, the, the, whatever parent they can make the most money off of, or get the most revenge after or whatever their motive is in the situation. As long as we have a situation where, where our justice system is involved in the abuse and the trafficking of children.
2: What hope can we have that, that the average person is going to act any
1: more responsible? You know? Uh, in my work as a private investigator in, in my lifetime, I've dealt with career criminals. In my whole lifetime as a nightclub owner, my, own, my, own, my lifetime, lifetime well, in general, I've met many, many, many career criminals. People, front page or newspaper type of people,
2: you know, that I've dealt with. People that books written about so, you know, names you'd recognize. And, uh, but never
1: anybody I've ever talked to would openly talk about this, and kind of, yeah, we're going to make money off of uh, the abuse of children. You know, there's people, it turns out later on, I found out that they were behind my back, but they would never dream of telling me right out in the open
2: so what they were doing. You know?
1: So what do we do? I guess, you know, you got someone like this, uh Gloria Handrahan, you write a book, you know, and you, and you get on here and you talk about it. Like I do. One of the things I was going to ask her about was PTSD because, uh, yeah, you guys, God forbid, you know, uh, you know, I talk about it all the time. Yeah, it, it's a difficult, difficult, difficult topic uh to delve into week after week after week. And even uh, the past week or so, dealing with these uh, this whole Corey Feldman thing behind the scenes is just... Uh, <laughs> So draining and so um, uh, painful in so many different ways, man. And, and just dealing with people's problems and stuff like that. just a miserable situation.
2: Another thing that I stumbled on, and you know what? It, it's not even a... I, I got to be careful, all right? Like, I'd,
1: I'd love to do a report. And post the links for this, this whole thing with these uh, overseas adoptions where these parents are trying to rehome these kids. But I, I know what some of the people are like who listen to this show. I, I know what what they're up to and what they're into. Okay? And and, and you, even people, you know, for the most part, everybody's cool. But I know there's a percentage out there of really creepy people who listen to this show. <laughs> okay? They're so real listening. You could be one of them. And, and I, I, I can't. Give, I would love to do a report and expose these things. So we to expose them. But, but you're really giving free advertising to it. Nothing's really happening. Nobody's doing a damn thing about any of these things. We said, I'd love to show you these websites I found, you know, with the, the rehoming these kids. I mean, you can't find a little bit of work. But I know that the, the, there's a percentage of people out there that would be looking for this and would take advantage of the situation. So I can't. You got to be responsible in what you're doing, what you're talking about. It's so frustrating in so many different ways. Because even with this old Corey film, I'd love to talk about everything I know about it. I'd love to tell you, you know, this is what's going on. This is what I
2: know. But there's just so many levels, this and and, uh, this. You got to be responsible. And there
1: is some conflict of interest too between the PI work and the the broadcasting work in that situation like that. So I have to err on the side of extreme caution uh, for my own sake. But another thing I would love to tell you about the stuff I found on YouTube and I would love to tell you now and people hear me complain about YouTube and to uh complain about the the youtube channel and people watch youtube I, I think that YouTube does make you go crazy i think that a lot i think it's a uh, i think it's um both people who broadcast on YouTube become obsessed with the likes and the views and the shares and all this kind of stuff they they become Fascinated on that and, and get involved in the comments back and forth with the with the people on there, and I, I believe that that affects their well being. Okay, and I think it it doesn't help if you if you're broadcasting only on YouTube. I, th- I think you got uh, you're you're in a bad forum there. It's an unhealthy format to be broadcasting solely through YouTube. If you want to put your archives on there, fine, but you need some kind of responsibility. And even like right now, I'm I'm broadcasting on American Freedom Radio. It'll be on other stations too. But, you know, I have a, a sense of responsibility that the station owner is going to say, hey, hey, you can't go on here and it'd be a nut. And <laughs> you can't just – got to have some kind of uh, standards and ethics, you know, in, in order to have different stations carry, although there's some stations that just put anybody on So I got to be careful, okay? And I can't come right out and tell you what I know about the the Russian adoptions and these websites and stuff like that, just like I got to be careful. And I can't tell you the stuff I've uncovered on YouTube, which is just as bad. Now, there's a whole different levels to this.
2: Uh, Oh, my God. And if, if you really saw the depth and the extent
1: of everything that's going on on YouTube, I think the people would would, uh, have pitchforks and torches and go burn down YouTube and Google. There's no way the people uh, who run Google and YouTube are not aware of what's going on because these perverted uh, videos and these perverted channels, okay, get the most hits. They got got videos on there of eight-year-old little girls with 10 million hits, okay?
2: And I'm not going to tell you the things to look for. But not only that, but the, uh, some of
1: these videos, and there's no nudity, and there's no over- overt pornography, but it's sexualized content, okay? Uh, without a doubt.
2: And some of them, you have to
1: prove that you're over 18 in order to watch it. You have to log into your account in order to watch this video because you get that warning. You have to log in and prove you're over 18 to watch this video of a seven-year-old girl. Okay. And what does that tell you? That tells you that they know that there's some type of adult content on, on this video. And like I said, again, it's a nudity. Uh, and it's not Eds uh, has a, a perverse fascination and he's a prude and, and he comes up with these things he said. No, you can read the comments, and, although everyone who's watching these videos has a sexualized uh, intent when they're watching these little kids on these videos, and they're commenting to the kid, blatantly, I want to do this to you, I want to do that to you. Now, how could there be that you would think, right there, that uh, if you or I, if we're talking about the uh, <laughs> crockpots, or we're talking about the... Uh, Ouija boards or, uh, or or fax machines, right? There's going to be 25 ads about fax machines and Ouija boards and crockpots uh, on our screen, popping up, right? It's going to be there in Facebook. It, you can be, you can, I can send you an email, and then about something about a, a fax machine, and he's going to see a picture of a fax machine on on Facebook or on, on the, an ad on the side of a a website I go visit. So you're trying to tell me when there's a hundred comments or 200 comments or 500 comments all saying that I want to do this blank to you, I want to do that blank to you, I'm doing this to myself, I'm doing blah, blah, that YouTube has no kind of uh, software that can pick that up and detect that there's something fishy going on on this website, on this this YouTube video? Is
2: that what you're trying to tell me? Obviously not. Obviously they're aware of this. Because if I can find it, anybody can find it.
1: Okay. Now, some other people, too, have been finding these things, too, and, and posting about it and, and talking about it. And, and YouTube claims, also, too, they're, they're taking action. They're not taking any action. Okay? They're not taking a damn bit of action. Some of the stuff is from overseas, too. You can, and, and, and and it's organized. It's this. Well, there's some stuff from foreign countries where they got little kids. They're going into, like, apartment buildings where all these little kids live, and they're taking them to the beach, and they're running them around in bathing suits. The whole thing going on. Where they're taking them back to a clubhouse where the kids are all hanging out. This is a whole thing
2: going on here. This isn't some, uh, you
1: know, um, you happen to go down to the beach and you're taking pictures of little kids playing in the water. This is there's uh, a guy in charge. You can hear his voice narrating in a foreign language. He's going to a place, picking up a bunch of poor kids and taking them to the beach or taking them back to some clubhouse where they're doing
2: things. There's a whole thing going on here. I'm just contacted by a guy
1: recently who shows me a. He goes, Ed, you know, when you're searching these keywords you know, with these misspellings, look what it brings up. And again, it brings up, and that,
2: these are our channels that are well-produced with backing, with equipment, with lighting, <laughs> with
1: audio. They have way better equipment than I have here. Okay. So this isn't some kind of accident uh, thing going on. This is something that's uh, organized. And YouTube and Gmail has to know about it. And you can't tell me they don't. Uh, Well, if you're into this topic, you know, another thing that uh, I've been trying to talk about, I've done a lot of interviews lately in the past couple of weeks. Sherry Wisdom interviewed me. That's up in the members section. And we kind of touched on these topics. And I hate that I've become this person who's Talks about this stuff, you know. And then this guy Aaron Franz, I think his his, uh, his website's called Trans Resistor Radio, something like that. And he seems to be a very popular guy. A lot of people seem to know. Him. Uh, very nice guy, too. I'm gonna start playing. It. I'm gonna start playing his uh, podcast on Over on Awake. I like him a lot. Um, talked him for two hours. That's up in the member section. And then uh, me and Pierce Redmond did an interview with uh, Chuck Ocelli, where we talked about uh, Trump and Epstein. Oh, Pierce got, I, I did an interview, a solo interview where I just interviewed Pierce uh, to follow up on that because Pierce has done some great work on this and he's continuously doing great work on this, uh, where he, um, found some connections to Roger Stone and Epstein, um, where there were business partnerships and lawsuits and all kinds of stuff like that. So there's some significant connections here that Pierce has uncovered. I so said, I invite you to go check that out at the member section.
2: Um over there at uh, oppermanreport.com.
1: I'm running a special too. Might as well talk about that since I have to talk for an hour and a half. But I'm going to talk for an hour and a half, I'm getting paid. How's that? <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, what do you call it? Member section. I'm running a really, really good deal. 60 bucks. 60 bucks. My goodness. And I'll give you 13 months for 60 bucks. It's never been that cheap. And uh, the reason why I'm doing that is because I'm buying a car. Okay. My car broke down and uh, the engine's blown on it. I'm going to sell for just a couple hundred bucks just to get it out of here. And then I'm raising money to, to buy new cars. As a matter of fact, I'm going today. I got a really, really good deal. So pray for me. Keep your fingers crossed. Uh Wish me luck uh, fast <laughs> because uh, if the deal is, a, you know, it's through a friend of a friend and it, I guess he was going to turn in the car to the, um, or trade-in. So I'm getting like the trade-in price, the trade-in price, a Lexus. <laughs> okay. But I think I'm going to get a good deal on this. Uh, You know, it's like half price of what it would be. So I'm going to check that out right after the show. So that's in our member section at oppermanreport.com. But if you want that deal 60 bucks, you email me at oppermanreport at gmail.com. And then I'll hook you right up. I'll set you right up. Send me the money. I'll hook you. I sign you up in there and we cut out the middleman. Right? I get the money right away. And everybody's happy. Nobody gets hurt. They don't have to go
2: rob any banks or anything
1: like that. Okay. It always it always happens when I,
2: <laughs> when I run out of money, and I start hitting those doing those bank jobs.
1: Okay, there's a show in my member section, again about this topic, and it's something I talked to Aaron France about. Aaron France was well, about the McMartin preschool. Okay. And, you know, it's interesting because when I put the show up, I thought, whoa, everyone's going to be so excited. McMartin Preschool is one of the biggest topics out there because when I first got on the internet back in the 90s, McMartin Preschool was a huge topic of discussion on Usenet. Anybody who knew about Aquino and all this kind of stuff like that, we're all talking about McMartin Preschool and they did a movie about it. Oliver Stone did a movie about it and uh, uh, James Woods was in it. And basically what happened was in Manhattan Beach, California, close to the beach, There was this little preschool called McMartin Preschool. I got a picture of it, operandreport.com.
2: And one of the mothers of the little kids in this school
1: suspected that her child was being molested. Talked to the kid. The kid admitted. She went to the cops. Cops launched an investigation. And a whole bunch of the kids from this school started saying, "Yeah, yeah, this is what they're doing to us. We're
2: all being molested here. Medical exams on these kids they found out that uh, all the kids who claimed they were being molested had sexually transmitted diseases, okay?
1: There was a whole big uh, commotion going on because during the investigation, the parents were in an uproar, as you can imagine, and they
2: contacted Ted Gunderson, and Gunderson and the family
1: contacted a geologist who came down because the kids had reported that they were taken down in the tunnels and they were molested and they were doing satanic rituals in tunnels underneath the school.
2: So they brought in this geologist
1: and he came down there with the ground penetrating radar, which was new technology at the time. And he reported, he came back with a report and he says, I can find no anomalies. I can find no tunnels. I found no anomalies underneath the uh, school
2: here that would indicate the presence of tunnels. He was shown, and this is when the school was still open, okay? The McMartins were still in, in there working and living there. And
1: so he says, Well, what about this garage? And I said, Well, that garage doesn't belong to the school. That's the neighbor's garage. And he says, Okay. So he never looked inside the garage, never looked
2: under the garage, nothing but the garage. Then, they had a long trial, one of the longest trials, most expensive trials in California history. In the middle of the trial,
1: these characters from the false memory syndrome group, okay, by the way, false memory syndrome is not a diagnosis, it's not not a disease, it's not a syndrome, it's not a, a, a psychological fact, it's the name of a company. (laughs) all right it's the name of an organization called the false memory syndrome okay and they got a couple of guys there you know PhDs and stuff like that who claim oh yeah the kids they make up these things and they have false memory syndrome and we'll go testify in court for you so this group invites 60 Minutes to do a, uh, a, a show about McMartin preschool and 60 Minutes had the Family, the Bucky family and the McMartin family, to interview them, right? At the
2: home of these false memory syndrome guys. That's where they held
1: the interview. And 60 minutes of this thing saying, oh, this is all a big uh, uh, satanic panic, and the, the kids are making things up. And uh, they, they were told what to say by this therapist, these overzealous therapists. Oh, my goodness. This poor family. Whens this day or spend?
2: nothing wrong. And it was actually the, the parents who were the bad
1: problem. Oh, guess who we got? <laughs> Very hand-to-hand. She's here. There must have been a up at the time. Okay, so Danny, are you the other Danny? Because uh, she says she's here.
2: Danny boy. Okay.
1: Danny might be taking a nap. But he should be here at the half hour. Let me just met Danny.
2: No, I'm here trying to get her up. <laughs> okay, great. Thank you, Dan. I
1: thought you were taking a nap. I, I heard you snoring. Well, anyway, we have in the member section uh, for the McMartin preschool, we contacted that uh, geologist who has never done an interview in 40 years since this thing was went to trial. And uh, what he tells us is that when they raised this property and they raised, because what happened was the, the family turned over the deed to that property to the uh, attorneys when the attorney sold the property. Today, there's a dry cleaners there. And when they turned the property over, they raised the building, they raised the garage, I meaning, you know, bulldozed them down. And when he went back there, he saw with his own eyes, there was a hand-dug room underneath the garage. And there was
2: a hand-dug room uh, staircase
1: leading down under the garage. So we're going to have Lori Hendrahan on here in a second. They're just uh, trying to work out some problems with Skype, which happens quite a bit. So now they're calling her up on her cell phone. But her book is called Epidemic, America's Trade in Child Rape. And what we'll do is we'll have her on now for the rest of this hour, you know, for the rest of the show today. And then we'll have her back uh, to do like another hour. So we got about five minutes to go here. And then we got a whole another hour to go. Uh, Fun games and surprises. (laughs) Actually, a miserable topic. It's so uh, depressing. I would like to talk to you about uh, the whole situation with uh, uh, PTSD, which has affected me so much uh, in dealing with this topic, uh, over and over and over again. Uh, I had a guest on here once who, uh, uh, his his book was about his friendship with a serial killer. And the first thing I did was ask him about PTSD. We spent the whole hour talking about PTSD. They, they both of us suffer. He was a true crime reporter and and me as a reporter and an investigator just uh, suffering from PTSD from dealing with these topics all the time. Uh, as soon as Lori's ready, just let me know if we can get her. Uh, Lori, hand, hand The book is Epidemic, America's Trade and child right. read you a little blurb here. one thing that's to jump out at me. The problem of child sex abuse and its cover-up is real. A generation of American children... Are being destroyed. If you think this happens to someone else's children and your children are safe, you are mistaken. Your children might be enduring sexual abuse right now while you remain dangerously ignorant. America's appetite for child pornography puts all our children at risk. Your children and mine, whether you acknowledge it or not, this book is a wake-up call about a subject people, too few people want to discuss. That is, while no one was watching, America has become a child pornography nation, and that is so true. I was looking up uh, uh when uh, the death of uh, what's his name, uh, Hugh Hefner, all this stuff came out about the pictures of um uh that little girl Brooke Shields, you know, uh, and about how uh there, there was nude pictures of little Brooke Shields in Playboy magazine. It was called Sugar and Spice, they called it, uh, but they also had some equally product- provocative pictures, uh, like in in uh. People magazine
2: of this little kid, uh, little Brooke Shields, you know. Hello.
1: Oh, Lori, how are you? (laughs) I'm fine. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. We only have a couple of minutes here uh, before the break. Uh, But why don't we start off, uh, because I was telling the audience about your book, Epidemic, America's Trade and Child Rape. Uh, But why don't you tell us, who is Dr. Lori Handrahan?
2: Uh, well, that's me. So
3: you, you want me to explain a little bit of my background or?
1: Well, yeah, before we even get into your background, just tell us about yourself. Where do you live? You know, what do you do for a living?
3: Okay. Am I, I'm not on the air now. No, no, right? we're on the this air. We're on, I've
1: been on the air for an hour. Yeah. <laughs> I've been on the air. For a so we only had a couple of minutes before the break. We've got about three minutes. If you just tell the audience a little bit about yourself.
3: Oh, okay. Well, I, uh. I Have a PhD from London School of Economics, and uh, I've been working as a humanitarian and an academic my whole life. And, and what do you live up in Maine? No, I live in Washington DC. But you grew up in Maine, right? I grew up in Maine. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I spent a lot of time up in Maine. I used to go. I, I was up there with a, a, a gospel tent ministry, Reverend oh, R.J. Really? Knight. As a matter of fact, I had him on the show, and uh, uh-huh. he's based out of Maine, uh, Falmouth and Portsmouth, uh, Port, uh, Portland, Maine, and Falmouth, uh, that kind of area. And uh, Thomas. Yep. yeah, yep. yeah, and we used to, Oh I no, I even did a thing out there recently, a tres Dais, this uh, the three days where you go to, this, uh, and it was at a um, a summer camp. Uh-huh. And I heard one of your interviews, we were talking about uh, the dangers uh, of sending these kids to these summer camps.
3: Oh, yeah, wow, I that's a long time since I've spoken about that,
1: but yes, a very, very important subject, yeah, you know, I can even remember when I was a kid too, we went to summer camp one year. And it wasn't even a sleepover camp, Uh, but there was a lot of uh, shenanigans going on, a lot of weird stuff with the older camp counselors and the younger boys, you know? Uh,
3: I would never send my children, and I would warn anybody about sending their children to summer camp, particularly in Maine, because in Maine, uh, the Maine State Police and the Maine Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force unit that's supposed to be Protecting children and and prosecuting people for these crimes is very corrupt, and they are not doing anything except protecting the predators. So uh, summer camp in Maine would be a great place for a pedophile to work because they'd have pretty much total impunity.
1: Yeah, I I, I listen to a lot of your interviews that are available on YouTube and stuff like that. Uh, So we're going to have a break come up in less than a minute. Uh, So why don't you give us an idea what we can find in your book, Epidemic, and then when we come back, we'll start the interview.
3: Okay, that's great. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Um, Well, the the most important thing I think about the book is that I gave a lot of data and a lot of information that is out there in the public domain but has not yet been pulled together into one source. And I also made little action items. So there's pull-out boxes all over the book that it says, right, you care about this issue. Well, what can you do about it? Well, you can take action. Here's an action item. And they're easy-to-do action items that would actually make a huge difference. So, for example... Um, The U.S. Sentencing Commission has not updated uh, a public report on prosecuted child pornography convictions since 2012. We need to get that updated.
1: Okay, Laurie, we'll be back in about five minutes. Now, we're going to have a five-minute commercial break, and we won't be able to talk to each other during the break. But we'll start the interview. uh, We'll get into everything when we get back from this break. We're with Laurie Handrahan, Dr. Laurie Handrahan, Ph.D., Epidemic, America's Trade, and Child Rape. We'll be right back after this. And now, a word from our sponsors. Don't forget, this show is brought to you by PSCoco.com. Phoebe Saad is an independent curator with the Cocoa Exchange. The Cocoa Exchange is formerly known as Dove Chocolate Discoveries, and they make the finest silky smooth chocolate because the products start with the best cocoa beans, which are tested for quality and flavor by expert technicians. The Cocoa Exchange offers not just premium chocolates, but anything from sauces and spices to brownie and cake mixes and even coffee and martini mixes. If you wish to treat yourself or someone you love to a sweet and tasty gift, then the Cocoa Exchange is the brand for you. So you go to PSCocoa.com, you click on the Shop Now button. You can see all their beautiful chocolates. You can order it right now, tonight. It could be in your mailbox in a couple of days. Or if you want to get into the chocolate business, you want to be a, a chocolatier just like Phoebe Sod, click the Contact Us button, and you can learn how to get your own website, go into the Cocoa chocolate business, and sell chocolate and make a little bit of money there. You can have your ad played here at OppermanReport.com every Friday night, 5 p.m. and Saturday night, 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And on Friday nights, too, we do a live portion for one hour that I just do a live monologue. The ads are very, very inexpensive, and they're also played in the Opperman Report member section. In the member section, you can find all kinds of exclusive content that you won't find anywhere else. It's as cheap as $6 a month, $20 a quarter or $75 for a year if you contact me directly at oppermanreport at gmail.com. I'll set you up with a little special deal there where you get a discount if you PayPal me directly and even get a copy of my book. I want to thank Sean Duff from strawman.com. He runs the website. He runs the member section. And I also want to thank William Ramsey, who helps us to produce the show and book guests. You can find Sean Duff at strawmanmusic.com. He's an excellent musician. You can find William Ramsey, who's an excellent author, at William Ramsey Investigates on YouTube. Archival Revival, the Christian Film Archive, is currently paying for vintage Christian films. They are dedicated to preserving and restoring classic Christian films and media. So if you have original prints, negatives, or other film elements of classic Christian films, or you have audio recording masters for classic Christian record albums, they want to buy them from you. So email archival.revival at gmail.com. These films are all over the world, and they're gathering dust, and they're going to deteriorate if they don't get into the hands of Archival Revival. So that's archival.revival at gmail.com. I want to welcome our newest sponsor, SubashTechnosis.com. Subash Technosis is a search engine optimization and website design company. They're located in India. So you know you're going to save a lot of money and get top quality service. They offer all sorts of business process outsourcing, data entry, banking BPO services, recruitment process outsourcing, software testing, offshoring research network, customer care, press release, content writing, and distribution, and much, much more. Now, you can get a hold of Subash Technosis by email at info at subashtechnosis.com. Their website is www.subhashtechnosis.com, and their Skype is A-N-U-S-H-A-S-U-B-A-S-H. Remember, all these shows on Awake are brought to you by emailrevealer.com. You can go to emailrevealer.com and get a copy of my book, How to Become a Successful Private Investigator you also do all kinds of different services for you at an online dating service investigation It's called an online infidelity investigation and that's where you give us your husband or your boyfriend, your girlfriend's email address and we trace it back to their online dating websites and we return a list of all the dating sites that that email is registered to. We can expand on that investigation and trace it back to porn sites, escort service sites, swinger sites, gambling websites and even prescription drug websites if you think your ex-husband or something is addicted to prescription medication or involved in a extreme online pornography addiction, we can produce a report for you that you can use in court. Adoption investigations. If you want to locate your birth parents or your birth child He gave away for adoption, we can do, do adoption investigations for you. Asset searches for you. Locate bank accounts, hidden assets hidden properties, hidden income, all different kinds of services in the asset search investigation. Email tracing. If you need to locate or identify somebody from just an email address, that's emailrevealer.com or you can contact me at oppermaninvestigations at gmail.com.
0: It's the Opperman Report. Join digital forensic investigator and PI Ed Opperman for an in-depth discussion of conspiracy theories, strategy of new world order resistance, high-profile court cases in the news, and interviews with expert guests and authors on these topics and more. It's the Opperman Report. And now, here is investigator Ed Opperman.
1: Okay, welcome back to the Opperman Report. I'm your host, private investigator, Ed Opperman. Uh, We're joined today with uh, Lori Handrahan, Ph.D., and her book is Epidemic. America's trade in child rape. Now, now Lori, uh, before the break, you were saying that you have these call to actions in the book. Is that only in the Kindle version, or is that in the book too?
2: Did we lose Lori? <laughs> Did we? Not Sally. Did we? Danny? <laughs> Did we? Oh, Lori? Maybe you're on mute. Check your. Hey, check your mute button there, Lori. Uh, she might be gone. She might have went to the bathroom or something like that to take a little break. Uh, so, okay,
1: <laughs> we got Lori coming back. Uh, plan to ask her, uh, unless uh no, I heard the uh, I heard the music. Uh, so she's got a, she's probably either on mute or she stepped away for a couple of minutes there because uh, I still see her on the screen. But I was uh, catching Lori's uh, interviews on YouTube uh, where she talks about a horrific experience she had with her child custody. Oh, and now we see that Lori uh, needs to be reconnected. Uh, so maybe Danny can uh, take care of that for me. <laughs> okay. Whew, what a day. What a day. Uh,
2: she's had a a horrific child custody case. Um, where, uh, oh, now she's over here. Let me if I can pull her in. Hello. Hey, Lori, how are you?
3: Yeah. No, I, I was here. I. I- couldn't hear me.
1: I was never, I'm never so happy to find someone as Lori (laughs) Andrews. So, uh, Lori, because like I said, I I watched one of you, I think it was on WBAI. It was an interview. Was that WBAI? No, uh,
3: that's in Bangor, right? They've never, no, they they have not had me on.
1: Okay. So, and you were describing how your custody case with your daughter, Myla, and it's like four years ago, five years ago.
2: So
3: are, are you, oh, yeah, that one. Yes, that's yeah. right. In New York, the New York radio station. Oh, yeah, that's,
1: that is WBA. I used to be on yeah, WBA is, back in yeah. the 70s. So, uh, yeah, uh, without going to, into too much detail, can you tell us a story about your battle over custody and then give us an update on what's going on today with Myla because it's been like five years since that show.
3: Yeah, well, she just turned 11 at the end of November and uh, she hasn't seen her mother since she was four years old. Uh, she has no idea where her mother is or why her mother isn't there protecting her loving her and taking care of her and so this it's you know the holiday seasons and her birthday and thanksgiving christmas I, you know it's very hard um it, we, there's no update we've been completely blocked at every level i can't get one government employee to do their job what they're paid for with our tax money um the latest update i posted if, if your listeners go to my medium profile, and if you just type my name into Google, it's the first thing that comes up. I've pinned to my medium profile, um, another article I wrote about my daughter's case, uh, asking people to contact the inspector general for health and human services, a man named Daniel Levinson, and ask him why he's not doing his job, and ask him to investigate child protection in Maine or trafficking children who are involved in trafficking my daughter. Um, and I've put up a lot of the audio recordings that I had done with the various child protection staff. I didn't, it never occurred to me in the beginning of this nightmare to tape record child protection staff because I naively assumed that child protection employees were there to protect American children. And I was extremely wrong about that. And I had no idea how corrupt and incompetent and evil, quite frankly, these people are. And then about halfway through the situation, a retired state trooper, Steve Pickering, who's given an endorsement for the book, who's now a a PI, one of my friends uh, passed the hat and got some money and went over to Steve Pickering's house and said, could you help us? And at that point, because he's a private investigator and understands how investigations work, like you do, Ed, you know, he said, you need to record every single conversation you have with child protection staff. And he knew from being a state trooper He did rape, homicide, and child sex abuse for 28 years, and he said child protection staff lie. They lie all the time. You know, they're incredibly corrupt. They don't care about children. So uh, those recordings, people who have listened to them respond to quite well. But, you know, I can't get the FBI to do anything. I can't get Homeland Security to do anything. I can't get child protection. I can't get the inspector generals to do anything. As far as I can see, our government doesn't function at all except to protect corrupt government employees.
1: Yeah, a lot of these CPS workers, too, and they're they're young and it's their first job and they got a chip on their shoulder. You know, and a lot of them are still in college, too, and they're like interning over there. Uh,
3: lot of people I had, because nobody's raised a bigger noise in Maine than me. I mean, we were at the top. Governor LePage, you know, I have very different politics from him, but he was the only government employee who tried to help me. He personally called my daughter's daycare and said, where is this child? Because mm. they kept taking her out of daycare and hiding her on the days that I was supposed to pick her up, Right. So when the governor personally gets involved in the case, you, you know, you can't get any higher than that at the state level. And he had just got elected and he had appointed a new health and human service commissioner, Mary Mayhew. She's now running for governor. And I would urge all of your listeners to make sure that she does not get elected and spread the word on her Facebook page and everywhere. She um, promised to check my daughter. What they had said was, we need to make sure everything's done by the book. I said, that's all I've ever been asking. So We had a big briefing with Mary Mayhew and her then head of child protection, Dan Despard, who has since been fired. I was told over my daughter's case, I can't prove that. That's just what I was told. We had the top experts in the country. We had the top national experts in Maine. We had many people from my community who've known me for years, somewhere between 25 and 30 people at that briefing. And Mary Mayhew, who was then DHS commissioner, came up, hugged me, tears in her eyes, said she'd protect my daughter. I mean, The evidence of my daughter's abuse at that point was outrageous. I mean, methamphetamine to a near-fatal dose. We had the head of pediatric oncology at Yale New Haven in that briefing by the phone saying he he sees 2,000 children a year in his lab. And he's never seen a three-year-old with with methamphetamine levels this high. it was a near-fatal dose. Get that kid out of there. Uh, Physical abuse, the confirmed sexual abuse. Anyway, uh, Mary Mayhew did nothing. And Governor LePage subsequently said he couldn't protect my daughter because it was political. And protecting a four year old child from rape and abuse should not be political.
1: Now, what, what did the judge base their final decision on? You know, uh,
3: nothing. None of the decisions are based on anything. So, I mean, to look at the case, you actually have to do a lot of reading, which most Americans don't do anymore. But if you read the court transcripts, and then you read the judgment, you can't even match them. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, what happened in the court has no reality on judgments that are issued. It's a pay to play. So Judge Moskowitz is taking money or something else, condos. I don't know what he's getting, but he's run his courtroom like a private ATM machine and he will give you a judgment that you write and you put your, he'll stamp it and put a signature on it for, for money. Now, can I prove that? People will say, well, no, but give me a search warrant and I can. You know, there's been enough outcry, and it's not just me talking about Judge Moskowitz. If you type his name in, there has been a huge outcry. He is destroying so many families. He is the most corrupt judge in Maine. And we can't get the federal investigators to investigate him. You know, so the the, the reasons are are nothing. I mean, he withheld, my daughter was withheld from me for a year and a half when I still had legal joint custody, and Moskowitz refused to hold a hearing. He refused to hold a hearing because he knew, that he didn't want any of this on a transcript because I kept buying the transcripts. Now, most people can't afford to buy the transcripts because they're thousands of dollars. But I spent, you know, every penny I had to protect my my child, which is what the family courts know you'll do with the total racketeering scheme. And it meets all the definitions of the racketeering, the RICO uh, statute. So, yeah, I mean, there's so many other...
1: yeah, I can testify to everything you're saying. I, I've been through it personally myself, and the audience knows about my story. Uh, I have, thank God I got full custody order today. But uh, and and as a private investor, I hear this all the time. And it, what do we do if the if the rule of law and the courts and the people who are supposed to be in charge of all this are, are really the ones that are evil and the ones that are causing the most problems, putting a price tag on a kid's head and making their living over the yeah. off of the abuse of children. Where do we go and what what do we we do if if this is our our situation?
3: Well, I I don't know. And I mean, this is why I published the book, because there's almost nothing else I can do for my daughter. And what I what I what my strategy was, was to kind of go around the backside of my daughter's case by explaining the context which allowed this to happen in America. And so, you know, I had so many people say to me, well, there's no way if your two year old daughter was really confirmed for rape by her father you'd have sole custody. This is America after all. We have rule of law and democracy. I mean, it can't be true. I'm like, I, I have the forensic medical reports. I've posted them online. I'll give them to you. You can call the forensic medical people. The, these government, the people in Maine who actually, you know, talked about my daughter's case, they'll go on record. They'll talk to media. Nobody will cover the case. So the book is about that context that is allowed Child protection to become an organized criminal racket that has allowed the family courts to become a secure supply line for pedophiles because we're in an epidemic of child rape right now in this country. So, my daughter, she's not a small child or human being to these people. She's a commodity, mm-hmm. right? And they can make a lot of money. So, the pedophiles are always on the lookout for vulnerable children. And family courts is an area that you find vulnerable families because all of a sudden your private stuff is being exposed to government employees. And if the father is molesting the child, sometimes women do too, but it's by and large white men, uh, you know, then it's very easy. You know, he was a criminal alien on a green card. He was due to be deported and he should still be deported. He could be deported any day. He's not legally here. And, you know, I'm sure she's being passed around to other people. There's no doubt in my mind. There's no doubt that she was being passed to his lawyer. And his lawyer represented him for free for 10 years and went on a. insane, obsessive campaign to destroy me and silence me. So yeah, so I don't, what do you do? I wrote this book. I dedicated it to my daughter. I couldn't write about my daughter's case because we couldn't get anyone to publish that. Every time we've had mainstream media interested in doing it, and I've been, you know, up to ABC and NBC producers and CNN producers, they always drop it because Michael Waxman, the attorney, who I'm sure is molesting my daughter and helped traffic my daughter. You threaten them with lawsuits, and they say, you know what, we don't need a lawsuit. It's too much for hassle. It's going to cause a big problem. We don't need to run the story.
1: You know, you talk about the uh, family court being a a haven for these type of people. Look at Roy Moore in Alabama. Yes,
3: absolutely. (laughs) Well, that's what I've been saying. So my, my, my soundbite is family courts are a secure line, supply line for pedophiles. So what most people don't understand is they think, oh, this guy just molested this one ch- child. Like it was a crime of opportunity. He happened to be around the six year old. No, these are strategic people who set up their entire life. Mm-hmm so that they have access to vulnerable children to rape because those children age out quickly. They're going to keep raping six-year-olds or three-year-olds or four-year-olds or whatever their preferred age is or whatever they can get their hands on. So Roy Moore, I said exactly right. You know, he's hanging out in family court saying to this poor mother who's in family court, let me take your daughter out so she doesn't have to hear this nastiness between you and your husband. She's thinking, what a lovely DA, right? And he's saying, I'm the DA who's going to listen to you. Right. I mean, I think the pro- I have a whole chapter on lawyers and prosecutors and judges in the book. I think they're the worst. I think they're the absolute worst.
1: Now, having your experience, I'm sure people come to advice. Uh, would you advise uh, a parent involved in a custody litigation to allege child abuse or child sexual abuse against the other parent?
3: Well, you should never allege anything that didn't happen. Nobody should be making up lies. Unfortunately, the the men who are molesting the kids just lie in court all the time. And what people will say is we don't prosecute for perjury. Nobody prosecutes for perjury. So, I mean, my daughter's father just lied and lied and lied and lied. And we have him dead to rights, you know, in many, many different lies because he told everybody different stories. So we have different transcripts that have completely different accounts for really important things like his military record in the form of Yugoslavia and where he was and his criminal record and his assault on other children. I mean, he kicked a 16 year old in the head until his brains came out on the concrete. The guy's disabled for life. So we we got all the court records from that case. He's lied about that. So they're like, no, we're not going to prosecute him for perjury. And then you've got the the medical forensic examiner who confirmed that my daughter was raped, did six hours of testimony, and that's just going to be
1: ignored. But, but my point is, okay. assuming it's true, because uh, I always advise, don't even bring that up because as soon as you do, you've lost.
3: What, what am I not going to do? My daughter came home from a visit with her father with a shredded vagina screaming when she was peeing because it hurt, because he'd shredded her vagina when he raped her and she was two years old. Am I just going to pretend that didn't happen?
1: No, I hear you. I hear you. But like I said, whenever that's brought up in court, it, it's-
3: Well, that's what my lawyer, Ken Altshuler, said. He said, you, yeah. you don't go to the doctor. Don't report this! I'm like, what do you mean? I'm not going to go to this? my daughter was sick. She had to have a, right. she had the antibiotic. She had a UTI, right. which and is a very classic sign of child rape. And so the other thing I, too is, had- as a good citizen who believed in this country and believed in the rule of law, assumed that while my daughter was confirmed for rape, that she would be protected from her rapists. And that is not what's happening in family courts in this country.
1: Well, then, what would you advise people today? Now that you now that you've gone through this experience.
3: Don't marry a pedophile. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and and who would know? I mean, I had no idea. Uh, all, what I now know, because I've had to become an expert on this subject, what I now know is all the warning signs were there when I met her. Her father, right? He loved little children. He was a part-time swimming coach for six-year-olds. That was his favorite age group. He loved the four to six-year-olds. And I should have understood that this was a huge red flag. Mm. You know, he wanted to follow me around the world, not have a career, be a stay at home dad, just be alone with the children. There were many, many red flags that I missed because I didn't have a frame of reference to understanding how pedophiles think. And now I do. So like when I was looking at how many teachers have been arrested for child porn charges, one of the areas that you see coming up all the time are special education teachers. Hmm. And at first I was horrified, like who would rape a Down syndrome child? Oh, a pedophile would. Why? Because the Down syndrome child can't be witness in court. It's a strategic decision, right? So then infants and toddlers under four are platinum on the pedophile market. Why? Because under four can't be a witness in court, right? And so a corrupt prosecutor, I didn't even try to get criminal charges. I just wanted a civil protection order, right? But a corrupt prosecutor will say, well, we can't bring criminal charges because a two-year-old can't testify in court, which, by the way, is not true because many, many circumstantial crimes are prosecuted on far less evidence.
2: So when, when you were first exposed to this with
1: your daughter, this was totally off your radar. You, just, you weren't thinking of anything like this at all?
3: Nothing. Done, uh, I'm i an expert in gender-based violence in war zones. But I understood that women were targeted for rape at, in wars as an act of war, mm. weaponizing rape, and that teenagers. But the thought of newborns and infants being handcuffed and aimly raped, no, I, I had no idea how common that was.
2: But you did have, you were abused as a child, though, right?
3: Your father. Physically abused, yeah. Okay. Not sexually abused.
1: Now now that you, you've lived through all of this, right, and, and you're right, and I, I know what it's like to write a book and research all this kind of stuff, even though most of this was off the top of your head, like you had this information at your, at your fingertips. You still got to research. You got to work 24 hours a day on a book. Are, are you experiencing any PTSD from all this?
3: Well, what I said when this all started, my daughter's father and his attorney launched a vicious, a vicious felony stalking, uh, campaign against me. And if you've ever been stalked, it's a really horrific experience. And they targeted my job as a professor at an American university and they would email my students, my colleagues, the president of the university, post on the Facebook page incessantly for a year and a half, nonstop, and said they wouldn't stop until I got fired and AU Illegally fired me and did not protect me as they were required to do. And then they took credit, my uh, daughter's father and his attorney online, for getting me fired. When that started, I realized that I had to protect my mental health and think about my mental health the way I think about my physical health. So I've lost my teeth. You know, I brush my teeth. I eat healthy. I don't drink very much. I don't smoke. Don't do drugs. I go to the gym. And so I started doing a lot of research about how to withstand, how to have a recipe for good mental health. So that the soundbite I often say is that I watch my mental health the way some women would count calories. So every day I say, is this a good recipe for mental health? No, this isn't. This isn't helpful for me, so I'm not going to do this. And this is good for me. It's basic stuff, fresh air, sunshine, good friends. You know, I unplug a lot. I just turn off the phone. I garden. So do I have PTSD? Probably I do. Am I in good mental health? Yeah, I'm in really good mental health because they want to make sure that I'm not because that's what they do to most women. Most women end up on drugs, alcohol, Mm -hmm. and commit suicide. And I'm not going to let these guys win.
1: So you mentioned uh, before infants and toddlers are common victims because they can't testify. Now, I have a question for you. Uh, You you read these cases about these uh, these Catholic priests, right? Mm -hmm. And you hear these stories about that they've, molested 600 kids uh, mm-hmm. in their career now obviously there's something more there than just a sexual appetite because any healthy man or woman wouldn't have 600 partners right mm-hmm. have you have you given any thought or, or any research to what is really behind this that that causes them to obsessively molest and and find different kids and, and do all this
3: well i'm not a psychologist so you know i often get asked that question and the, the focus of my book is trying to change the structures of our government that has allowed this to happen. So nitty gritty policy changes, like I was saying before the break, the U S sentencing commission needs to update their data on how many people have been arrested for child pornography and the specific demographics of those arrests. So that's sort of the focus of of the book ending the impunity for the crime. What I understand, and I do talk about this a little bit in the beginning of the book, because I say, I'm not going to go into this because I'm not a psychologist. I'm a social scientist is from reading hundreds and hundreds of criminal complaints now where they detail what the what the man was doing and they often uh, will show clips from the chat, the online pedophile chat and what the man was saying.
2: Mm.
3: My understanding of the crime is the sex is the result of the violence. So what the men will say is that they want to see the children hurt. They want to see them bloody. They want to see them beaten. They want to see them abused. And then they get a sexual perverse pleasure, erection, they get the erection out of the violence, either committing the violence or watching the violence be committed. And then that rape happens. So it has nothing to do with sex or sexual attraction. It has to do with, uh, it's pure evil. I don't know any other way to describe it. I mean, getting turned on by causing extreme pain and suffering and torturing a small child can only be described as evil.
1: You mentioned in your book, John Grissom. Okay. Mm. Now this has only come across my radar just recently to describe John Grissom, who he is and, and what his, uh, recent comments were.
3: Yeah, that's interesting. It's interesting. You bring that up. For some reason, a little while ago, that old, um, media report about his comment started to go viral again on Twitter. Somebody picked it up and everybody was just seeing it for the first time. So he's, you know, a famous crime, uh, fiction writer, uh, famous author, and he was doing an interview on his book. I forget which book it was that he'd come out. This was like 2014, I believe. And he did an interview with uh, Peter Foster, who was with the Telegraph, a British paper here in Washington, D.C., and they were videoing the interview, and it was just a standard book interview. And for some reason, in the middle of the interview, he says, you know, the, the problem is that our criminal justice system is broken. I'm paraphrasing. This isn't the exact quote. The exact quote's in my book, or you can Google it. The criminal justice system is broken because all these old white men like me or all these old white men get drunk one night, and they hit a few wrong buttons on their computer, and they go to jail for doing child pornography, and they're innocent. And our jails are filled with all these innocent old white men wrongly convicted of this crime. It's, like, ridiculous. So... I, I actually called Peter Foster and then we met. and I said, hey, Look, I'm, re- I was just in the beginning when I was starting to research this. And I was like, This is, this is not what's happening. And let me tell you, read some of these criminal complaints. You don't accidentally hit a few wrong buttons on your computer and stumble into child torture websites. You just don't. It's hard to get into these. You, know? yeah. <laughs> you have to actively get into them. And, and when they, when they catch them, they're trading back and forth, they're distributing, you know, they're, they're not just, passively downloading it. You, you, it's very hard from what I understand from reading criminal complaints, and a law enforcement investigator who works this crime might be able to give you more detail than I could, but you can't get onto the child pornography networks unless you first give. give—you have to act, They have to access your, their computer so that they can see your collection so they know you're not a cop, right? So Because they're all very scared of getting caught. So they'll say, let me see your collection first so I know you're not law enforcement. So when law enforcement is working undercover in these pedophile chat lines, they'll show pictures that aren't of children, that are of 18-year-olds who look really young, or they sort of document the pictures in a way that make it look like they have child pornography when they really don't. But um yeah, so that was weird that John Grisham said that, and everybody freaked out. Rosie O'Donnell said he, his computer should be investigated. That's mm-hmm. probable cause, and I agree with her, and he should be investigated for child porn. And then he, back, he recanted, I think, two or three days later and said something that he hadn't meant to say that. What was weird about that that the mainstream media didn't cover was apparently he was thinking about a friend of his who had been convicted, who was an attorney, who then was out, and the journalists tracked down that attorney friend, and they did interview him, and he said John Grisham was wrong and that he was guilty and he knowingly accessed child pornography and he had hurt a lot of people and he gave his standard apology speech. But in that story that the journalist tracked down the law partner who had done this, they said that there was somebody he was trading with in Maine and that name was Sealed. Mm. And that's what attracted my attention because I want to know who in Maine he was trading with and why was that Sealed. Why wasn't the person in Maine he was trading with also arrested? Because that's how it goes. When they seize the computer, they will see who they're trading with, and then they'll go get those 10 or 15 or 20 other people arrested, too. They usually can't arrest the whole network because they're trading with so many people. They'll just have to stop at a certain point and move on to another case. But if it was enough that it made the media that he was trading with someone in Maine, why wasn't that person arrested, too? And who was that person?
1: Yeah, that's interesting. This seems to come up a lot, too. Then it either it sealed or they lost it. They lost the evidence. Yeah. I'm thinking of the John Wayne Gacy case where it just came out recently that uh, he was living around the corner from this guy who was running a, 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 a pedophile child trafficking ring and, and his mm-hmm. Rolodex had like 4,000 names, but it got lost. Yeah.
3: You know what I mean? Well, that's what, So this is the main computer crimes guy, Glenn Lang. I mean, so, I mean, I've had the former ICAC and I've, I've posted this. This is up on my medium too. The former internet crimes. Against children, leader a man named Tom Bureau was sitting in Peru, the country, with another ICAC cop from the Midwest. And apparently, this is the story that was told to me. After Tom Bureau, who used to who set up the ICAC in Maine, the Internet Crimes Against Children, he'd had like half a bottle of Jack Daniels. Apparently, likes his Jack. And he likes to drink. And then he said something to the effect of, "You know that woman Lori Handler? Everyone's calling crazy." And the cop who was telling me the story said, "Yeah, I know her." He said, she's not crazy. You know, everything she's saying is true. And I was forced out. And they put Glenn Lang in so that they could choose who to protect when they're doing investigations for child pornography in the state of Maine. Now, I've got a cop who's telling me this, and I still can't get the FBI to open an investigation. So uh, the guy, Glenn Lang, who is not doing his job and should be fired as the head of the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force in Maine, the there was a Zumba case. You probably remember that. That got national media. A woman was doing a prostitution ring out of her Zumba studio in Kennebunkport, Fort. Mm. And there were allegations that children were involved. And it made the Portland Press Herald that Bun Lang, who had the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force, said that he had seized the computer and there was evidence that child pornography was on the computer. He subsequently then told the media that he had lost the computer. Mm. I mean, you can't, it's just like, it's like Keystone Cops. That they're not even trying to cover this up in a way that actually is authentically covering it up. Because you don't lose a computer from the child porn about one of the most notorious cases in the state of Maine that the national media was all over. And if you are that dumb and incompetent that you lost that computer, you can be head of the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force. It's one or the other. Either you're covering it up or you're incredibly stupid and incompetent. And either way, you shouldn't be running the incredibly important law enforcement directorship. Right. No. Right. But the- I'm sure child porn was involved and I'm sure it was a cover up. And they're so sloppy. It's also not about sloppiness, though, Ed, what it what it felt like to me the whole time that I've been battling this inane is that these guys know that they've got it all covered up, that they have total impunity. And they've basically just been giving me the middle finger the whole time. Hmm. Nobody we're untouchable. So we can lie to the media and say we lost the computer, and nobody's even going to say, what do you mean you lost the computer? And it's true. Not one main media, not one journalist followed that story up. That's a huge story. It just dropped and died.
1: Right, because the media is complicit in covering it up.
3: Totally, absolutely, completely.
1: And and I'll give you an example. You you have On the back, you have a blurb from Conchita Sarnoff, who wrote the Epstein book, right? I had her on the show, too. Mm -hmm. And uh, just recently, we have all this stuff, Kevin Spacey, right? It's front-page news. That he's uh, with some 17-year-old kid and harassing some 17-year-old. But here he is. He was on Epstein's plane along with Bill Clinton, yep. along with Chris Tucker. Why wouldn't that come up uh, right. front page as, as part of the story about him being with a 17-year-old? Right. No, I know. George
3: Mitchell, a man I revered. I interned for Senator George Mitchell. Mm-hmm. I mean, was my hero. He was on the Epstein plane. How oh, really? come that is in front page news everywhere, all over the place, you know? The whole Bill Cohen, Senator Bill Cohen, that's completely covered up. In fact, so Steve Pickering, the state trooper in Maine, you know, retired. He was on the original task force to, to investigate the children who had alleged that Bill Cohen was molesting them when he was a U.S. senator. And uh, Steve Pickering will tell anyone. After one meeting, they were disbanded and told not to pursue the investigation anymore.
1: How much do you think this is because of uh, like one thing is it's in your book. About the, the number of military computers, government computers, DHS computers that, that are, while they're on, on duty, they're, they're looking at child porn, they're ordering child porn. Right. Unbelievable. But how much it's of this, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you but now how much of this is, is blackmail, CIA blackmail, getting dirt on people? Uh, and, and that's why the media is, is complicit.
3: I mean, I don't, so what I tried really hard to do in the book, because what the people who have taken my daughter needed to do in order to keep her is to destroy my reputation and to make it look like I'm crazy and I am full of these conspiracy theories and none Mm -hmm. of this stuff could be true, right? So, and one thing my entire life, it would be different if I was in my early 20s when this happened, but I was in my late 30s when this happened. So I had almost a 20-year record as an adult of being a serious, credible person with integrity. It, you can't just erase all of that. I didn't just change into somebody else. So to answer your question, what I tried really hard to do in the book is to make it very clear that this is not a conspiracy. So all of the documented evidence in the book are real cases with real criminal complaints that you can get from these courthouses, that you can get from DOJ, that I got. I'd call the lead prosecutor. I'd call the lead investigator. I'd get the reports, right? And you can just start to look at the numbers. So no, I don't think it I don't think there's any blackmail going on with the CIA. I think that's just like a, a nice little excuse that people can use to not face how many predators we have running our country. So if you look at professors, for instance, that's the one that went viral. I don't, I don't know why the professor list bothered people more than the police or the military. But we have like 470,000 plus shares of the professors and staff arrested for trading in child rape. It's up on my Medium site. I do a a chapter in the book on educators, and then I say, if you want to see more, you can go to my Medium site, and I still have like 50 more cases to add. I have 111 cases up there now, I believe, as of today, and there are new rests every day. Well, those, those are professors, the CIAs, and trying to blackmail these guys, I mean, you know, and almost exclusively, there's a few cases that are not white men, but it's white men. And they're all in positions of power. So it's the provost, it's the president, it's the chair of the department. And almost all the time, it's infant and toddler stuff. And it's mm. brutal torture, you know? Like one example, he just got out of jail. This was a Canadian case, but I put it in because it was so such a good example. The University of Toronto professor uh, Ben Levin, who was also the deputy minister of education in Canada, very celebrated professor at University of Toronto. Well, the cops in Canada did a fantastic job. And they put all the details of his chat into their criminal complaint so the general public could see it if they wanted to, or reporters could report on it. And he's there. He thinks he's chatting with a mother who's willing to rape her, abuse and molest her own children, but it's of course an undercover cop. And he's saying that it makes it, it's hot if a mother would, would harm her child for his sexual pleasure. And he says, you know, I want you, he's instructing the mother to harm her child, to hit her child, to abuse her child. To beat her child, and this is what really turns him on.
1: You know, it, it's mind blowing. Yeah, I was just talking about this when I, when I was filling the hour before before you came on. Is uh, Jared Fogle, uh, the subway guy? Uh, did you look into that mm-hmm. case? Uh, yeah, I did. I looked in. I did. A, th- I have a little post
3: on Medium about that case. Yes, absolutely. That case is interesting because the, the top prosecutor, what I'm told, the top federal prosecutor on child tax is a man named Steve DeBroda and that was his case and so and I've talked to Steve before he's one of the people who really gave me a very good education he spent about an hour explaining to me you know how the crime works and how federal prosecution works and what the problems were and so yeah I followed that case in detail but what about it interests you Ed? Well uh,
1: well the first of all is that uh, it just seemed like he would meet someone for a short time and we would be talking about raping their kids or having them yes. film their kids it, it, like this this was on the front of his mind all the time. All and the, the time. people at yep. Subway knew about it because we yep. sued Subway.
3: Yep, they did. And they did nothing. Well, that's like all these professors. The universities know about this and they do nothing. So Michigan State University, some Michigan State legislators are now saying that she needs to resign or, or be fired, the, the president of Michigan. Because it's the largest, they say it's the largest university cover-up since Sandusky at Penn State and maybe even larger, Larry Nassar, who's just been sentenced. They all knew about what he was doing, and they covered it up. And so this one, it doesn't make any logical sense to me. So the idea is we have to protect the institution so we can't let this information get out. You are harboring a criminal of the worst kind. You are harboring a criminal who is raping children. How does that protect the institution? It doesn't. You've turned your institution into organized crime. You've turned your institution into into something that protects criminals. that That's the worst reputation damage you can do to your institution. There's somehow this mindset within all these institutions that we have to cover these crimes up because we have to protect the institution. You are damaging your institutional reputation by letting these people rape children. Do you not understand that?
1: I'm not familiar with this, with the professors. How many professors are we talking about? How many schools and, and they, they're, they're raping toddlers as well?
3: Oh, yeah. It's infants and toddlers all the time. Mm. Again, and there's one of the best books that I would recommend all your listeners run out and buy is Julian Shear. He's a really, really great Canadian journalist, and he did a brilliant book. I, think, I don't have it in front of me right now, but I think it came out in 2006. Um, but if you just type in Julian Shear, you'll see the, the book. And he embedded himself with child sex crimes units. A lot of them were just starting up Internet child sex crimes units. And um, just sat around and learned from the cops and went on raids. And so he really described a lot of cases and how things work. So he has one quote in the book that I put in my book as well, where there's a a pedophile on a chat. And he says, I got to start molesting my newborn because she doesn't have her words yet. And my four year old's starting to talk too much.
1: Hmm. So I'm going to switch kids. And and that's sheer S-H-E-A-R? Okay, Julian, Julian. Shear. Okay, I'll put a link to that in in the comments uh, for, for people uh, to look yeah, up later.
3: brilliant, brilliant book. Very, very, and he's an excellent journalist. And he wrote the book in um, the way a, a good journalist does. It's kind of a novel novel style tone to it, so it's easy to
1: read, even though it's about a very, very hard subject. And, and don't forget, the audience can't forget, the, the. we're talking to Lori Handrahan, Ph.D., and her book is Epidemic, America's Trade and Child Rape by Trine Day. And then there's a link, too, in the comments in, in the description. Now, with all this stuff going on right now uh, with Harvey Weinstein, right, and the, the Me Too thing, right, this is, I think it's a pretty good thing. we got all these people coming forward right. now and, and exposing their accusers. How come we're not seeing a peep about all the child? Uh, uh, no
3: kidding. Thank you, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this has been driving me nuts. So I'm in this constant state of, like, I'm really excited that a lot of this is coming out, but I'm constantly furious that nobody's thinking about the children. So the first, I have an article coming out on this soon, and I won't i will tell you what publication, because I don't want it to get pulled, but once it comes out, I'll send it to you, if you're interested for your listeners. Um, Woody Allen's stepdaughter, Dylan Farrow, was the first one. She had an op-ed in the LA Times last week. I don't know if you saw it, but she's the first one to say, what about the children? And she called out all these Hollywood actresses as hypocrites. You know, she said like Kate Winslet and, and um, I don't know all the names of these Hollywood people, but she said, why, why are you focusing on Harvey Weinstein? And, and of course, what he's done to adults, it's terrible. But I was raped at seven by Woody Allen. And she says, this is not he said, she said. There's evidence that this happened. And she actually links to the court documents and transcripts, just like I do with my daughter when I went can't be true. I'm like. OK, you read all of this evidence and then you tell me that you're going to find a way to just ignore all of this evidence and say no, it's true. So she, Dylan Farrow does the same thing and she says, you're all hypocrites. You mm-hmm. all continued to work with Woody Allen because it benefited you because you earned money and it helped your career. And if you really cared about the Me Too silence breaker movement and you were really such a silence breaker, you would stop working with Woody Allen right now. You know? And yeah. It's heartbreaking because she's like, what about me? What about me too? And then she says, and of course Woody Allen did. It was his stepdaughter, right? What pedophiles do? What happened to me? After he raped her, he then tried to get sole custody of her. Mm. Now she was lucky enough and Mia Farrow was lucky enough that in that particular court that they happened to be in just by luck, because if that judge had been a pedophile, I guarantee the kid would have gone with Woody Allen. The judge said, no, nope, I'm not going to, there's sufficient concern for the child. And and the evidence that they had of her rape was nothing compared to the amount of evidence I have of the abuse and rape of my daughter. So she didn't, she wasn't placed in the soul city of Woody Allen, but he attempted to, to get that, right? And then she said that what people have done, he has a whole team, just like Harvey Weinstein, just like Michael Waxman, the guy who's gone after me, my ex-husband's lawyer. He has a whole PR team. So anytime anybody tries to bring this up, they just try to smear. But she said, they don't go after me because they realize that it would look bad to go after the child survivor. They go after my mother. And she said, it's been heartbreaking to watch people destroy my mother. You know, and I mean, everything that Dylan Farrow said, I'm just like, this is, this is exactly what's been happening to me and my daughter. You know?
1: I do know. I do know. And, and you know, they go after Matt Locke, you know, justifiably so. But Eddie Kirk and uh, George right. Panopoulos and Woody Allen are over there at this uh, welcome home dinner for Jeffrey Epstein trying trying to to rehabilitate him. Why do you think in the last election, uh, there's connections both to Trump and to uh, uh, Clinton, why do you think it didn't come up? And they were throwing so much dirt at each other about a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that didn't come up?
3: I have a really good question. I have no idea. I I basically checked out of the political process. because (laughs) I do. I mean, I've just given up. I mean, as far as I can tell, both parties are just, very organized structures for crime and corruption and greed and they get most Americans to get caught up in this false idea that the parties are different so we fight against whether you're a Democrat or Republican we won't talk to each other and they're all laughing their way to the bank and raping kids along the way and everything else that they're doing both
1: Uh, My question is I had to start off on the show Uh, why do you think she gives uh, Trump a pass uh, in all that in her book
2: No comment? Did I lose you? Let me go here? No, she's still there. Are you there?
1: I hope you didn't hit mute. (laughs) Did she hit mute? Okay, we're here with uh, Lori Handrahan. We're going to have to have her back. Okay, we're going to have to have Lori Handrahan come back uh, so we can spend a whole hour when we're not having all these kind of little problems here and stuff like that. Uh, So I hope Danny's there uh, trying to get her back there. Danny, are you there?
2: Trying to get her back on? Yeah. Because Danny's uh, running the call. Maybe I can pull her and see what happens. No, I can't. I'm going to have to start hosting these calls. Hey, Danny, if you... uh... Danny? Lori, hand your hand. The book is uh, Epidemic. Oh. If she... Okay. Ah, uh, you back? I think we got you back. Uh I wonder where she is with this bad Skype.
1: Uh, the book is "Epidemic: America's Trade in Child Rape." Uh, one thing I'm going to ask her, Dan, if you're there, try calling her on the uh, the cell phone.
2: We see all the time this uh, meme on Facebook. And uh, on Twitter, where it says,
1: "Do you think we should bring back the death penalty for child molesters?" Right, like and share if you believe it. Right, A- as if the people convicted of these crimes are somehow doing life sentences or getting death. The average. Sen- oh, you're back. Okay, hey boy, we got well, some I, trouble I, today, huh? Life <laughs> okay.
3: terrible. Well, I just t- I just thought to chat to you. I mean- Skype is not so great because so I can hear you. But for some reason, you you can't hear me. It keeps cutting out and I'm not touching mute. I promise. I just I just sit <laughs> okay, I <laughs> My phone isn't even near me. I mean, I have my earbuds in and the phone is on the seat. I pulled over. I'm just you know sitting on the side of the road. To well, do the I, I definitely stuff. want
1: to have you back. OK, uh, so that, you know, and we'll take our time. We'll go over the nice and detail. Uh, but a question I have for you is uh, Conchita Sarnoff's book where she kind of gives Trump a pass with his connections to Epstein. Where, where do you fall in on that?
3: Yeah, I don't know. That's what I was saying. I guess you didn't hear. So I, I have no idea what, okay. you know, you'd have to ask Conchita. Yeah. And, and I have a lot of respect for Conchita. And I, I know her personally. And I was really, really grateful that she gave me that nice blurb for the book. But I don't, I have no idea why she does what she does. So you'd have to ask her.
1: Yeah, I had her on the show. I asked her. Okay, uh, now what about, um? Uh, you see this meme on Facebook and Twitter where it says, oh, do you think we should bring back the death penalty for pedophiles, right? And it kind of plants this idea in people's heads like these people are getting forty fifty life sentences, you know describe what kind of sentencing people get when they're convicted, not just of pornography, child pornography, but of uh molesting their own kids
3: yeah well, so first i'm I'm completely committed nonviolence is mm-hmm. my philosophy spiritually politically so and I also on Twitter, I often will get people who will issue death threats to pedophiles, and I immediately block them. Sometimes I'll say, I absolutely not. I don't believe in, in that kind of reaction. And then I block them. So I don't believe in the death penalty under any circumstances whatsoever. Mm. And I think that the death penalty has been used wrongly on many innocent black men who have gone to jail in our broken, corrupt criminal justice system. So, but I do believe, and I talk about this in the book, um, you know, very long jail sentences. But what's more important than a long jail sentence is lifetime on the sex offender registry and lifetime supervised release, because these guys will reoffend as soon as they get out of jail. Absolutely. And so I have one professor at the Christopher DeZutter at the University of Rochester, Minnesota in Rochester. He got only four months. His computer was literally, the investigator told me, dripping with child pornography, brutal, brutal, awful stuff. I have clips from his criminal complaint up there. He had married a single mother with a young girl. I would be surprised if that child wasn't affected, but she and the child, their names weren't made public, which was good to protect their identity. And there was no, he was never prosecuted for anything other than the child pornography itself. He only got a four-month jail sentence, which was outrageous considering the volume and the and the quality of what he was doing. And his relatives contacted me. I get a lot of people reaching out to me now, especially on that professor list, and asked me about it because they were all saying, somebody was saying that, well, he could be cured with therapy and he shouldn't go to jail, which is absolutely ridiculous. There's you can't cure a meth addict with therapy and uh, you know, you can't cure a bank robber with therapy. You can't cure somebody who puts a gun to my head when I'm walking down the sidewalk and steals my purse with therapy. I mean, these are crimes, for us to get the crimes. And I say, sure, the, the pedophiles can have therapy. Let them have it in jail. And let me tell you, if the psychologist and psychiatrist had to go to jail to provide the therapy for the pedophiles, the mental health profession would not be calling for therapy for, for pedophiles. It's a money making thing for them. In any case, Christopher Desutter, he gets out of jail, he reoffends immediately. You know, and now he's back in jail. He reoffended while he was on probation. So lifetime probation, lifetime supervised release on the registry, and chemical castration. I mean, mandatory chemical castration, I don't say absolutely, but it's something we should start talking about.
2: You know,
1: you say therapy. From my experience in dealing with these therapists, especially here on on the west coast, back on the east coast, I had better experiences. But my experience dealing with these therapists, they're up for sale too, and they're just as as perverted as these criminals. (laughs) I'm gonna put we're gonna put these criminals in the hands of these therapists. Uh, Well, that's what I said. I I
3: I have that little section where I say I'm not a psychologist and I'm not gonna deal with it. And I said. You could do an entire book just on all the psychologists and psychiatrists who've been arrested on this crime. Right. I mean, you could do an entire book about it. It. I think it's rife in the mental health field.
1: What about, you mentioned too, in this specific case about the woman who was, uh, her, the guy targeted her because she was a single mother with a child. Do you, do you get into the statistics involved with single parents who, who start dating and bringing uh, uh, partners into the home and, and how at risk that puts your children? Yes, yeah, a really good question, Ed. Thank you for asking me that. No, so the,
3: the whole point of the book is that nobody has the data because the data hasn't been collected. And why hasn't the data been collected? Because the U.S. government isn't doing it, even though they're supposed to. And any professor like me who starts to research this is run off the university because mm-hmm. so many pedophiles at the university don't want us to get the data. If there's no data, there's no crime, right? So, and then those of us who talk about it are just r- wild, r- crazy conspiracy theory people. This can't really be real. Serious people aren't talking about it. There's no data, so we don't know. And that's my my point is we need to get the data, and and that needs to happen. But it's very very common for pedophiles to go after single moms. And I would tell every single parent out there, particularly single moms, to be extremely careful because what you're going to find. And and this is what I say, a pedophile is not this awful man that you think is horrific who's going to rape your child. If if pedophiles acted like that, they wouldn't get access to kids. No, 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 no. The pedophile is the nicest person who loves children, who just adores children, who wants to be around children all the time, who will be there to babysit, who will be there to say, your career goes first, I'll be the stay-at-home dad, let me take care of the children. And you think, wow, this guy's so wonderful. You know, every single case, I see it over and over and over again. He was the youth hockey coach. He was the Boys and Girls Club volunteer, you know, and excessive. He gets the point of light recognition because he did what, 40,000 hours of the Boys and Girls Club, right? Of course he was. He is a pedophile. He needs to get access to kids. So when they target the single moms, the single mom thinks, wow, I've really had it hard. And all of a sudden, there's this wonderful, charming man who loves my children, who doesn't care that it's from another marriage, who doesn't care that I'm divorced and single. Who just wants to take care of me. The you no, know, they're, they're there, they're there the kids. They want access
2: to the kids. I
1: would not Yeah. And then you have some situations too where these mothers are just in such a financially desperate situation again, because maybe they went through a, a horrific divorce custody thing, you know, and, and they're and have PTSD, you know, and, and now, and, and like you said too, you know, a lot of the people who've been through that custody thing wind up with addictions and substance abuse problems and stuff like that. So, of course, you got some guy coming in, now you're relying on him, you know, and and they're so manipulative, these types too. I think we're losing our connection again with Laurie Hanrahan. Did we lose you again, Laurie? I think we did, (laughs) okay? But you know what, I tell you, I think I'm holding up pretty well, considering all these problems we have with uh, Laurie Hanrahan, PhD, her book is Epidemic, America's Trade in Child Rape. I am absolutely, we have to have Laurie back uh, so to to really give her some time to tell us more about the book uh, and more about her experiences and uh, knowledge in this, this area. But I do encourage people to run out and grab this book. Uh, you can find it on, at oppermanreport.com. It'll be in our bookstore there. Her website, if you go to the Medium page, if you, if you just Google, this is how I found it, Google Lori Handrahan PhD. Then you'll find her Medium page, and then you click on her name on that. It'll take you where, to her her page for the book. Uh, which I don't have on me. Uh, you can find this book and also great reviews on Amazon to check that out as well. Uh, hopefully, we'll have her back to sum up uh, her her opinions uh, on the book here. Maybe she'll she'll find her way back. here. Are you there, Lori? No, she's not. Okay, I wanted to ask her about PizzaGate too. Uh, what she thought about that? Because if and I know it is one of these um, conspiracy theory type things, and there's just so much wild uh, stuff being tossed around about it that it's easy to dismiss it. But if this is being allowed at the highest levels of government, and like she said, how she you know she has such a cut and dried case with the uh, forensic uh, medical uh, experts, uh, and that you still can't Laura, you back.
3: And it just hey,
2: yeah. oh okay
1: great.
3: We got to do this on my cell phone next time, not Skype.
1: Well, do another one, nice and calm. Okay, won't be live. We'll do it nice and calm. But guess what? We got three minutes left. So, what do you okay. want to tell us um, to sum
2: up the book and? uh What what I didn't
1: ask you, if there's anything left out that I didn't ask you about the book that you want us to know about.
3: Yeah. First, I'm really, really grateful that you invited me on and that you care about the subject. So thank you and thank all of your listeners. I really appreciate people who say, yeah, I want to to tackle the subject because not that many people do. Mm. So I, I would just say, go on Amazon, get the book, participate in the action items. It's really easy. You can just send an email to the U.S. Sentencing Commission. You can send a tweet to them and say, hey, we need the data, give us the data so that we can prove that this is a crime, and then we can develop public policy to stop the crime, right? I mean, get aware, get involved. When you see your local media say, this guy was arrested on three counts of child pornography, that doesn't tell you anything. Go down to the courthouse, get the record, take them to your local journalist and say, I want you to report on what's in the criminal complaint. I want everybody to know that the dean at the University of Virginia, Michael Morris, was masturbating to a girl six-year-old girl being raped at knife point. I mean, not that he went to jail for three counts of child pornography, that this is what he was doing, so that people understand that this is happening. And a lot of these people who are doing it are very respected men who you wouldn't imagine would be participating in these kinds of crimes. So get involved, get active, tell your local journalist to report on the full details of the arrest, and, and participate in the action items in the book.
1: Right. And I asked you before if the action items were only on the Kindle version, but now flipping through the book, I see what you're talking about. She's got these boxes with phone numbers and stuff and emails that you could take action for every one of these topics. Now I understand what you're talking about. Great. One more thing, too. People need to understand that a lot of these, when you talk about the, the, the guys trading in a video of a little girl with a knife held to her throat and she's being raped and stuff like that, there's someone producing that video. And in order to get okay. into these groups sometimes you have to produce some videos something new they wants to see something new that's, right you have to that we that's what i'm saying there's no
3: there's no way that you can just download child pornography without actually producing it too because you cannot get access to the pedophile networks until you show them child pornography that
1: you've produced yourself yeah and also so to even might find not those go to
3: jail for that but
1: yeah, even yeah. to find those groups, you've got to know all kind of code words and stuff like that. You can't just Google child yeah. pornography and find this stuff. <laughs> you've got to really be into this for a long time before you can find this stuff. Yeah. Thank you so much, Lori. Okay, I'm going to invite Well, I'll Thank talk you. to you off the air, and we'll do another show. Okay, great. Thanks so much, Ed. Thanks to your listeners. Thank you, Lori. Okay, they had Lori
2: Handrahan, and the book is uh, uh, Epidemic,
1: America's Trade and Child Rape." Well, you know, listen, it's tough doing a show when you have all these kind of technical problems with the phone and stuff like that. Uh, But I think we got a lot of good information out. And even with the drops and the phone calls, there were some of the whole list here, two pages that I wanted to talk to about. But I think I I was also able to share some information with you from my own uh, database of knowledge on this topic. You know, um, one thing I do want to say is I, I know, especially for people who are just getting to know the show and getting to know me and stuff like that. I didn't ask to be the the guy. You know, people invite me on their shows and they want me to talk about these topics. I I, I really don't um, enjoy this talking about this at all. I I feel it's an obligation because I do have experience and knowledge about this. Going back to to uh, uh, the McMartin case, after years and years and years, so I do have a a body of knowledge on on this topic, but I I don't enjoy talking about this at all. And it is having, I do have PTSD from, from dealing with these topics and dealing with clients, you know, and I've talked about it before. It's very, very difficult. And so, but it is, I think it's a responsibility and there's very few people, especially in mainstream media that are willing to talk about these things and not cover it up. And also too, I have, um, uh, um, sacrificed opportunities uh, to get involved in, you know, reality TV shows and, and projects like that, because when you're doing your auditions for these things, they tell you, they ask you, well, what, what kind of cases do you cover? What kind of things do you work on? You know? And uh that's the problem. I, when I say that I work on these kind of things, they, they you're gone. They don't even want to talk to you. And even people who I've talked about doing projects with that, that like the show and they like this stuff, will discuss off the record, okay, but there's certain topics we can't talk. Touch in order to sell it to Netflix, in order to sell it to HBO, we can't go into these topics. So you know, while it is a curse, you know, being here, uh, I guess, an alternative media—I guess it's called in it some way. Although we are, we are on mainstream media, we're on AM FM radio. Um, you know, it, it's still a—it's it, an uphill battle, which is why we do appreciate your support. Uh, and if you want to advertise on the show, get a hold of me at OppermanReport at gmail.com. If you appreciate the stuff, uh, the the information we're we're sharing with you. Get a hold of me at operatingreport at gmail com, and I'll hook you up with a sponsorship package where we'll advertise your product or your website, your service, your event uh, for such inexpensive rates, uh, you'd be shocked. And if you're local over there in Utah and K Y A H, you know I'll give you a nice local deal. You've got a local uh, product uh, or business down there? I'll give you a special rate, and, and we'll target it towards your business there locally. Um, otherwise, international: we're in Ireland, we're in England, we're in the U K, we're in Africa, South Africa, we're in uh, uh, Australia uh, all over the world so if you have a website a product you're selling um, we can help you out for sure if you need a PI get a hold of me Opperman investigations at G- uh, com. Opperman investigations at gmail.com uh, I'm always uh, available to hear your your case if I can help uh, I'd like to help you I turned down a lot of cases too okay so it's not just uh, we'll do anything for you so uh, check out our member section dot com. we just uploaded about the uh, 12 hours of new content and going up there next is uh, Mara Moon, who was one of Corey Feldman's angels Uh, and she's dropped out of the Corey Feldman uh, angel group there and she's exposing everything that she was exposed to. She's telling us everything. She tells us mostly everything. She's still holding stuff back and we'll give you an idea of what's going on with that bunch over there. And then we have coming up a broadcast. It's going to be on uh, Sunday night on KYAH and it'll be on, on the internet. And on iHeart and Spreaker and all that kind of stuff, Friday uh, night. Uh, Scotty Schwartz, who was the little boy in the movie A Christmas Story, the one whose tongue got stuck to the pole. So he was a child actor. As an adult, he got involved in pornography, producing pornography. But he has a, a lifelong history with the Corey Feldman, Corey Haim, and Corey Haim's mother, and all these people involved, you know, and he's very tuned into this whole stuff, and he shares his opinions and his theories. Uh, so check that out as well. And you can find all these shows at OppermanReport.com in our member section. Or if you just Google Opperman Report, you'll find a, a local station or a uh, Internet station that will be carrying it for you. Thank you so much. And thank you to our guest, Lori Handrahan, Ph.D. Epidemic, America's trade and child rape. You can have your ad played here at OppermanReport.com. Every Friday night, 5 p.m. and Saturday night, 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And on Friday nights, too, we do a live portion for one hour that I just do a live monologue. The ads are very, very inexpensive, and they're also played in the Opperman Report member section. In the member section, you can find all kinds of exclusive content that you won't find anywhere else. It's as cheap as $6 a month, $20 a quarter, or $75 for a year if you
2: contact me directly at Report.